Welcome to Rumble Ward, the podcast that explores the secrets of sleep and psychology. I'm your host, Ryan, and in each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of sleep and other topics such as mental well-being and personal growth. If you want to unlock your full potential and receive the rewards that come with understanding the power of sleep, you're in the right place. To discover more tips and insights on improving your sleep and overall well-being, visit our website and explore our other episodes at RomanWard.org. Hey everyone, welcome to the Rem Award Podcast. Uh, today we're talking with elite sport recovery coach, Nick Littlehales, who has been a sleep coach for over 20 years and has helped teams such as Manchester United, Chelsea, and Real Madrid, and players like Cristiano Ronaldo and David Beckham. Coach Nick is also the founder of the R90T Technique, which we will also discuss later. So Nick, for my first question, can you just introduce yourself and your background in the field of sleep and athletics? Yeah, Ryan. Um... I sort of fell into what's called the sleep industry quite a long time ago um, in the mid to late 80s. In the 90s, I sort of graduated through to being an international sales and marketing director with a big company who made bedding products. Um, That got me involved with um, setting up the first UK Sleep Council in the UK and was chairman of that. Um, So I'd been around a lot of sleep clinicians. I've been around the sleep industry internationally. Um, and I just got bored with it all because there was no definitive approach. Um, it was a very important pillar to our health and well-being, but it was basically taken for granted. And all the focus was on things like products or or just get a good night's sleep. Uh, and that's all it was. So I sort of hit a particular time in my 40s when I decided to uh, go off and do something different. Uh, I happened to bump into the world of football. My UK office was in a place called Oldham, uh, which is in the northwest of the UK near Manchester. Um, That meant I ended up bumping into Alex Ferguson then, Sir Alex Ferguson now. Um, And we had a conversation simply about sleep, recovery, what the footballers do, and he said nothing. So that conversation developed. Um, If it was any other manager, any other club uh, that I bumped into at that particular time, uh, I wouldn't be here today. But we had a good open conversation. I was able to talk about things in my take on sleep. And that led to talking to other coaches and professionals in football uh, and then into professional cycling uh, and then into pretty much every high achieving athlete around the world, whatever sport it is. And uh, you mentioned I was asked to write a book back in uh, 2016. Um, I was a little bit overwhelmed and scared about that uh, because it was my take on sleep. It wasn't really the clinical approach. And uh, it's in 18 languages now around the world. It's still being published, still being read. And um, so it really sort of puts the emphasis on we're all human beings. We're on a planet. There's things that we have to think about. We all have to think about. And if we continue to ignore it, then we get consequences. So there you go. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about what the R90T technique is and how it relates to optimizing sleep for athletes? It's literally just trying to 
to define it a little bit better. You know, you get this sort of get your eight hours, which everybody's sort of familiar with. And if you don't get your eight hours, you know, you're going to get serious consequences or die. Um, but it's not about allocating the time to sleep. It's actually whether your brain will develop the various sleep stages that will give you optimized recovery. So I try to take the emphasis away from just allocating hours to it. Um, I was aware that in a clinical environment, uh, clinicians would look at a 90 minute period and then benchmark that against another 90 minute period where the various stages are being developed, particularly the deeper sleep stages, you know, as you're familiar with the REM, non-REM. It's only sort of 20, 25 percent of any period. So it's it can be missed, um, particularly as you get older. Um, but I thought, well, if you use 90 minutes, five 90 minute cycles is 7.5 hours. So if we think of a five 90 minute cycles, we can change it to think about cycles rather than hours of sleep. And that happens to be the length of a football game in the UK. Um, with a little break in between to rehydrate, refocus, re-strategize. So it kind of sat quite well in sport, in particular football at that time. And so it sort of developed into thinking, well, if I think about 90-minute cycles, if I think about a 24-hour rolling process rather than Monday to Sunday sort of thing, if I think about the circadian rhythms of the day and the sun rolling around our planet, which doesn't have any relationship with timings, that's what we put on it. It's uh, an every rolling 24-hour process. So if we think a little bit more like that, maybe we can chop our day up into 16, 90-minute cycles from a sort of anchor point like sunrise, you know, our, our start to the day. And if we can do that, we can probably create some rhythm and a little bit more focus on what we do while we're awake, our behavior while we're awake. Because when we allocate, when we send, you know, present ourselves to sleep, the brain takes over and we will, will reveal whatever has been going on in your life. So rather than thinking about the hours that I'm asleep, I think about everything we do from the point of wake and thinking about 90-minute cycles, 16 cycles, cycle eight, cycle four, cycle five, you can really start to create a little bit of recovery rhythm. Uh, and that's the real key factor to the technique. Right. Thank you. And can you just talk a little bit about how sleep plays a role in kind of like the recovery process in athletes, like after some hard training or a long competition? I think the thing is, you know, I think we're very much as sort of attuned, you know, over, over the last two decades that I've been looking at. Uh, you look far too young, but uh, there's been quite an enormous shift um, from the sort of late 90s to where we are now. Every generation faces challenges, but, uh, you know, these last two decades, you can definitely say, have been shifting us quite significantly and continue to do so. So I think there's a sort of general emphasis on us to to really be high achievers and push the boundaries and and that leads to a lot of sort of mental health and well-being imbalance that creates a lot of uh, increased anxiety and stress about things because we need that balanced approach to mental and physical activities and mental and physical recovery activities so it's not doing nothing it's actually just trying to be more synchronized as a human being with some key factors so when you look at elite athletes the balance is is 
What are we doing every 90 minute cycle? Uh, are we thinking like 35 cycles in a week, you know, five a day? Are we thinking about sleep in a sort of polyphasic manner, which means uh, sleeping in, in maybe twice a day, three times a day, multiphasically? That, that's not the way that people listening to this is, you know, falling asleep midday. And, but it's kind of, it's really focusing on, the, you gather your recovery in a 24-hour process, not just in one block at night. And so when you start to do that, you can see that one of the biggest challenges stop people worrying about sleep. So if you've got a real high achievers, big training, lots of events, lots of adrenaline, lots of cortisol, lots of anxiety, um, it becomes very difficult to go to sleep. And the consequence of that is you see this sort of addictive behavior where we start to use things to try and compensate for our natural ability to go into sleep and try to force it. And when you get into that area, you really get into a sort of um, a slippery process of, of getting into a slight sort of addictive behavior, not necessarily hard drugs, as we'd say, it, but you're using things to try and make yourself sleep. And that's when it starts to go wrong. So the whole reason for the technique working and proven is it stops people worrying about sleep. And as soon as you stop worrying about sleep and you have a sort of natural subconscious approach to it, uh, it's amazing that it reveals itself very naturally. So it's just shifting that mindset from worrying about it. I haven't had enough sleep, but I'm still going training. I've still got an event or I've still got exams. I've still got those pressures, but I'm, I'm wandering around worrying about the level of sleep I got. Am I going to sleep well the next night or the next night? So the technique sort of takes all of that away and stops you worrying about it. Right. And just adding on to that, have you what consequences have you seen from athletes who maybe do turn to like such things like sleeping pills? Well, the thing is, it's sort of, you know, like I said, over the last couple of decades, you know, I'm, I was walking around without a phone, which is inconceivable to most of us, you know. Um, so I think what happens is sleeping tablets had to be prescribed by a, a medical physician, you know, and you had to be in a pretty serious state, you know, for a right. physician to give you a sleeping tablet because it's sort of, it's a bit like sleep hygiene, Ryan. You know, what's that? Yeah. We have to keep ourselves clean and fresh. Right. It's sort of, well, a sleeping tablet's for sleeping. It's like a headache tablet's for headaches. You know, a painkiller's for pain. And it's sort of, well, why can't I take sleeping tablets? So as soon as you saw the shift to be able to access things like melatonin supplements, CBDs, um, loads and loads of supplements, caffeine in energy drinks and all sorts of things, including sleeping tablets in its various forms, you can access those without prescription. And that means tapping away on your little device, you can just get it ordered, it arrives in your house, nobody knows anything about it, and off you go. And if you take anything orally in sport, then you really need some advice. All right. So anything you take orally um, needs advice. So when you start taking them, one, normally it's before an event, like an exam. I can't sleep. So you take a sleeping tablet to force sleep. Uh, or after an event, when you can't sleep, you take them. But once you take one, you end up with two. Then you end up with one a night. Then you end up with two a night. And when you take them away, like anything you take away from something you've become um, 
you know, reliant on, um, then there's a real downside to that. So a lot of people access sleeping tablets without the knowledge of what that sleeping tablet is supposed to do and where you take it and why. And so it just becomes, you know, just like eating and drinking, I just take a sleeping tablet. Um, so it's got even more prevalent. There's there's things like SNUS, you know, S-N-U-S, the little nicotine pouch. Under the, that's become quite epidemic around the world as a, as a little hit beyond just having sort of caffeine through through liquids. So it's really dangerous that any individual in their own space with this vast amount of knowledge in front of them with their devices and the, the world web is you, you can start to do things and adopt things. And I think the best thing to do always is, is to get some good advice at the start. I mean, the problem is with sleep. I don't know what it's, I mean, obviously, you know, great congratulations to you guys having a, having a platform called REM, you know, in your university, in your college. Um, but, you know, parents can't pass anything on because they get no education. So it's kind of like it's a random approach. It's sort of like it's taken for granted. It's not a performance criteria. So just get your sleep and I'll see you tomorrow. And that's been OK, I suppose, since we invented electric light. We never slept in one block. Since we've invented technology in 24-7, we've developed far different behaviors. So it's kind of like we can't get away with that sort of random approach anymore. You do have to, as the young generation, specifically when I'm working with a lot of young athletes these days, which is great, is they're using it not sort of, oh, sleep, that's something you do when there's nothing else left to do. They're using it as a performance tool, as a success tool, as a way to, they want to feel more in control of it. They don't want to waste valuable time doing it without benefits. It's 30% of your life or your day. You don't spend as much time on anything else apart from breathing on that. So looking into it and grabbing some gains suitable to you can be can be a massive thing, you know? Thank you. Um, and you talked a little bit about sleep hygiene and how it's really important. And there's a few articles and you've mentioned how you've helped professional athletes with sleep, you know, mm -hmm. in their hotel rooms, such as having them have foam mattresses, checking the air temperature and having new sheets, which is all very important. How would these techniques apply to athletes that aren't as fortunate and can't really afford these type of options? Well, those sort of options sort of move into the real elite area, right? Um, not every athlete around the world is going around with their own sleep kits and everything else. The, the principle really is, is that I coach people to sleep anywhere, anytime, on any place, right? Up the side of mountains, hanging off on a sack, you know, single-handed round-the-world sailors, uh, you know, races across America on a mountain bike, you know, for, for 13 days. Um, so it's kind of what you should look at is, is the room that you allocate to put your bed in. It only becomes a bedroom when you put a bed in it. Right? It's a room. And you could be in the city or the suburbs or whatever. Um, so when you look at that room where you're going to go to sleep in, the first thing you remind yourself is that you, the quality of your sleep is about your behavior when you're awake. It will not get addressed 
when you go into that room, right? When you're in that room, it's about presenting yourself to sleep, but your brain takes over, so you think about your brain. So the key thing about it is, is that room, has it got anything in there that will help that process, right? So if you sort of take everything out in your head, imagine taking everything out of your room, and then only putting back what you think would encourage your brain to go and look for those deep sleep stages. You know, when literally I can come into your bedroom, Ryan, and play with your hair in deep sleep, and you wouldn't even know I was there. But I wouldn't get through your front door if you're in light sleep because you'll flick out of it. So the key things for me is think about outside, inside. Now, it's not about the cold and the weather. It's about if we're outside camping, going near the woods, trees, all that sort of stuff, by the coastline, sitting outside by a park bench, whatever it is, is we get naturally synced with those lovely circadian rhythms about light and stuff and serotonin. So what you want to do is sort of think, can I bring some of those things into my room, whether it's a plant or the colours or, you know, blacking out your windows to protect the outside light is fine if you're very aware of seasonal sunrise shifts and light but it's very difficult to wake in the dark so it's it's kind of this little knowledge that if i'm going to black out the blind the windows to create blackout why am i doing that or do i need to create some light inside the bedroom temperature is one thing fine but it's really nothing more than just a few degrees lower than your body temperature at the time you know you can't say 16 to 18 degrees is the optimum sleep temperature when I've got people in Ethiopia, you know, Saudi Arabia, all over the world where, you know, we're talking 40 degrees and 30 degrees and all this sort of stuff. So it's just a little bit cooler. So that's that's sort of like, I mean, the cold water stuff is amazing these days. You know, the cold baths and everything. It's just a little bit of a taking that temperature down just a little bit. Um, but that's only just if your room temperature is high, just a little bit less for you. So you go into a, a cooler environment because that's the trigger of sunset. But things like, you know, even, even a lot of students, I don't say this generically, don't laugh, but, you know, it's all about your own particular circumstances. But if you've got fresh bed linen and you put it on your bed, you kind of think, I want to get in it. And I kind of think I'm going to have a good night's sleep because it's nice and fresh and it's a bit cooler. And then sort of three weeks later, we're in the same stuff. So the thing that came out from elite athletes is to have fresh bed linen every night. Now, we can't do that. But it's kind of like, could you increase it a little bit? Um, hypoallergenic materials. When you're looking for bed linen and pillows and duvets and things like that, try to go for the hypoallergenic antibacterial stuff. Not, It's not about expensive. It's about how often can you wash it quickly? So you can change it more often. So you can even dry it in your own room, which is what we did with a lot of the athletes. It dries really quickly. It's antibacterial. It's hypoallergenic. So it's all of that sort of stuff. And as much as you possibly can, keep that air fresh. And think about breathing, you know, because we're naturally mouth breathers uh, in the population today. So we're dragging air in and out. If you can start to train yourself a little bit to breathe more through in and out through your nose so when we're thinking about 90 minute cycles could you just take a couple of minutes ryan in the second cycle of your day between 8 and 9 30 just to sit and nose breathe 
for three minutes, right? Because when you go into a sleep state, when anybody has looked at children sleeping, you know, in the cot, and they're in this deep sleep, and they're gone, you know, you're not going to wake them up. The brains took over. And they're just naturally breathing in and out through the nose. So it's it's filtering stuff. It's creating calm. We all know about meditation, mindfulness, and everything else. It's creating calm. So when you go into a sleep, I think about it like a, a set of stairs, okay? You know, in a, in a building, in a home. You come to the top of the stairs, you brush your teeth in your PJs, and you release yourself to sleep. The brain takes over. It's wandering down the stairs looking for this lovely REM stuff at the bottom, you know, a little dip in that 20%, and then come back up, and let's have another go in the next 90 minutes over. So while it's wandering down those stairs, anything will flick you out of that process and, and sort of keep you in lighter sleep stages. So noise, temperature, light, uh, comfort, um, all of those factors, uh, mouth breathing, you know, dehydrating, all of those little things. So I try to, what can we do throughout our day to help the whole process that when we do go into that bedroom and lie down on our bed and curl up in a little fetal position and present ourselves to sleep have we done enough during the day and are there at least some little things inside that room that will help that process most people are a big percentage away from that concept so it's just a little start isn't it? it's just a little start of how you can start to to put things in place we think of it the R90 technique is very much about seven key sleep recovery indicators. And that's your knowledge of circadian rhythms. It doesn't have to be scientific, Ryan, does it? Just tap it in your browser. Just get a little bit of an understanding. Your chronotype, uh, that genetic twist. You know, everybody talks about it now, but it's kind of being a little bit more, have a relationship with that, that natural characteristic to you against many other people and who's around you. Thinking in cycles, that's really an amazing start for anybody. Um, for example, if you have an anchor point of 6.30, because that's when you have to start your day, da-da-da, chop it up into 90-minute cycles, your wake cycles 5 into 6.30, your first cycle of the day is 6.30 into 8, and five 90-minute cycles is 11 into 6.30. So it's a different conversation straight away, isn't it? <laughs> Suddenly you're having a chat with somebody on a four-cycle routine, five-cycle routine. What's your anchor point? When do you go to sleep? Well, either 11 or 12.30 or 2. When do you wake? Either 3.35 or 6.30. So it kind of gives you this nice balance. And then you get a nice activity and recovery balance mindset. Nothing's perfect in the world of sleep. So there's lots of things we have to deal with, variables. So if you already know how to regain your balance, so sometimes you get put under pressure. Sometimes it's really nice. Sometimes it goes a little bit the other way. So if you know how to regain your balance by using that cycles mindset and thinking about recovery opportunities, like I call them controlled recovery periods, little tiny moments, then you can think you have a much better considered choice about six and seven one environments and products you know because 
everybody's got a fancy mattress and a pillow that gives you a perfect night's sleep. That is not true, is it, Ryan? Right? And all the things you hear about environments, you say, well, well, tell that to some Ethiopian marathon runners because they they were brought up in a little tent on the side of a road, you know? It's sort of trying to exaggerate it, you know? Ask the Eskimo how he does it. And it's sort of, it's kind of bringing it into that sort of particular place. So those seven KSRIs allows you to pick little things out your knowledge of circadian rhythms can you impact that like inside outside in your bedroom relationship with light outside inside then you can have a little bit of look at that little bit of look at that and you can start doing something tomorrow morning that doesn't ask you to put your hand in your pocket doesn't require investment and it's all all about just finding that nice rhythm in your own particular way with that as a structure and and that's really why it works so well is because it's so simple, so logical, and doesn't fight with anything you could find out online. Right. That was really powerful. Thank you, Nick. Um, just for my final question, do you have any closing thoughts or key pieces of advice for young athletes looking to leverage the power of sleep for a better performance? It's a simple thing to say, but don't take it for granted, right? It's it's a 30% chunk of every rolling 24 hours it's absolutely key to all your functionality and um, we hear a lot about mental health and well-being we hear a lot about athletes getting to a certain point and then having to drop out we hear a lot more about things like suicide we hear a lot more about addictive behaviors and really what it's about is if you can if you can find your natural recovery rhythm by a little bit of awareness you know i won't promote my book but really my book book is pretty simple isn't it Ryan right it, it yeah. takes about 90 minutes and it's not clinical it's not to tell you what to do um it just goes hey I thought I knew a lot of that anyway why aren't I doing it and I think that's the bit is at this moment in time sleep is not a performance criteria right it's not you will wake up start your day and you'll get on with everything you've got to do whether it's exams flying pains being a surgeon being an athlete you will do that. So there's things like tracking sleep, you know, with the trackers. We love all this. If you can't measure it in sport, you don't do it. But it's kind of, you've got to be careful of just how much these things become intrusive because irrespective of what sleep data you're looking at on a daily basis or weekly basis, the fact is it's not going to change what you're doing and how you're going about it. What you should do is... Let the data collect itself and then maybe at the end of the week, look back and reflect on it and say, this is what actually happened. This is how I felt. This is what I did. Um, you know, a little journal, a little mental note. And then you can look back and go, oh, 83, 92, 61. The main thing inside of there is HRV. If anybody listening to this doesn't know what that is, it's heart rate variability. Um, you can can tap it in sometimes it can get very confusing but it's a really good indicator to how you're recovering so on any tracker it will have a recovery dial there's a sleep dial there's this dial there's many of them but it will have that little and it's sort of getting getting to know this sort of rhythm of cycles getting to know all your little things that make you smile make you happy give you some barrier against the stress and anxiety that comes towards you how you manage it and stop worrying about it. And then you can see how easily you can maintain a nice 
HRV balance in your life. And that sometimes is more critical than sleep scores or things like that. So that's what we look for in there. So I would tell them to stop thinking about sleep as we know it. It's a controlled recovery performance factor. Uh, we can give it a different narrative. We can give it a different language. We can think cycles. We can think this. We can think CRPs. And we can think about really being, you know, any young athlete, if you can get a more definitive approach to this, you'll be way ahead of Usain Bolt. You'll be way ahead of any other athlete you can talk about these days because they didn't have that. And if you are looking inside of elite sport to to get that to get that next world record or to get somebody to to sustain themselves at high performance levels for longer and for less injuries that's a critical one always being available not getting into bad habits it all comes down to that so for a young athlete or any young individual um dive into this area don't be scared about it don't take it for granted because you'll pull something out and you'll go, wow, that's more important. If you make, I'll say sleep for the last time, but if you make that the first health pillar, your first health pillar in front of hydration and nutrition, sounds nuts and exercise. right? But the thing is, if you're trying to exercise well, eat well and have a good mental health and well-being approach, and then you're just trying to sleep at the end of the day randomly. What's the point? All of that you're doing is going to be diminished or diminishing. So if you put it at the start and go, I'm going to grab this and get more control over it and smash it, then everything else you do suddenly reveals a different Ryan, one that he didn't know about, one that's hiding in the corner that's over there, mood, motivation, alertness. When did you last get injured, Ryan? And he goes, was it? Was it September last year? Well, September last year, we were going, you were getting injured every month. So it's kind of like, that's why you sort of, it's a, it's a really nice, wonderful area to go jumping into. And if you can't get 5% out of that 30% for you, that could be significant in every single way. Right. Okay, that was perfect. I really appreciate that. Those are all my questions for today. Um, this oh. was very informative, and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts. It was a pleasure. No problem. Thank you for tuning in to the Reward Podcast. Before you go, we'd appreciate your support by subscribing, liking, and leaving your thoughts in the comments. Stay tuned for our next podcast, where we will be joined by a special guest speaker to explore even more about the fascinating world of sleep and psychology.